turning back to Luke chapter 11, we'll be looking again at verses 24 through 28 of Luke chapter 11. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that's wit- at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's ask the Lord to illumine this text to us. Uh, Father, uh, we come to this text again this week. Uh, Lord, there's so much truth here, so much uh, warning here, and uh, so much hope here. Uh, Father, I ask that you would work in each of our individual hearts, that you would apply this word in only the way uh, your Holy Spirit can. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the facts of being a human being is that we all live by someone's word. Uh, Your whole life is lived in accordance with someone's teaching, someone's word, someone's opinion. Most of the time, maybe our life is lived by our word, our opinion, our, uh, our wisdom. Maybe it's the wisdom of those around us. Maybe it's the wisdom of the culture. But we all live according to God's uh, or, or to some words. There was an incident uh, that I want to use as an illustration in Jesus' life that's found in John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Uh, just previously to, to this, his brothers who did not believe in him uh, at this point in time asked him, why are you staying in Galilee? Why don't you go to Jerusalem where if you really want to make disciples, if you really want everyone to know you, why don't you go right there and, uh, and uh, do your ministry? And he knew that those in Judea were seeking to kill him. Uh, Jesus uh, was doing things intentionally at specific times to fulfill uh, uh, God's plan. He knew that it was going to end up on a cross in Jerusalem. But there was a feast going on called the Feast of Tabernacle. And his brothers went up there and every week, Uh, Jew went up to this uh, feast and Jesus showed up unexpectedly halfway through the feast and uh, and he began to teach and opinions about him even before Jesus showed up were being talked about all throughout Judea 
but people were kind of whispering in the corners because they didn't want the Pharisees or the leaders to hear them talking about him. They knew that they didn't like uh, Jesus, but everyone was buzzing as Jesus was doing miracles everywhere. And what we read in, in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus stands up and says, if there's anyone thirsty here, any heart that's longing here, come drink from me and you will be so full that you won't only be satisfied, but your life will be like streams of living water overflowing from the fullness that you get from me. And then Jesus says, or, or, and then uh, John tells us, now this he said about the Spirit. So the springs of living water is the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit is not, had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And a few verses later, verse 44, some of the people wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on, on him. And then we're told, uh, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, why did you not bring him? Are uh, the chief priests come to them and say, why didn't you bring him? Why didn't you arrest him? Why didn't you capture him? He was here in our midst. Here's what the officers answered. No one ever spoke like this man. Why didn't you arrest Jesus? Their answer, no one's ever spoke like this before. They heard something that they had never heard before. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? They're concerned. Have some of our own transferred? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now Nicodemus, so they're, so they're saying, they're listening to Jesus' words because they're accursed. They don't understand the law. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee that came in John 3, remember? Who had gone... Uh, to him before, who was one of them, said to them, Does your law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So Nicodemus is now a believer, one of the Pharisees that has believed in the words of God. He says, Don't you want to listen to him? Don't you want to come watch him? They say, we already know the Messiah does not come from Galilee. It comes from Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, uh, 500 years earlier, the prophet Micah prophesied in Bethlehem, Christ would come. Jesus lives in Galilee, in Nazareth. 
That's where he was raised. That's where he came from. But his mother and father had to go give a census at where his father Joseph was born. And as they entered into Bethlehem is when Mary gave birth to Christ. And, And Christ was, in fact, from there. But the point is this. Those people came in contact with God's word spoken through Christ, Christ being the word of God himself, and they had never heard anything like it. The main question I have for you this morning is, do you treasure God's word to the point of obedience, to the point where it changes your life? We're going to answer the question, what does it mean to hear my word and keep it? Because this text, if you remember right, that we're going to look at, Jesus has just been accused of casting out a demon by the power of Satan. That's what the Pharisees said. He does all these miracles by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, oh, really, I cast out Satan by Satan. Don't you have a better argument? Than that. And then Jesus says, If I cast out demons by Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? The Pharisees had had those who claimed to have the power to cast out demons. He says, You really want to make that argument? And then Jesus told the story, uh, the parable. He says, uh, If someone has a palace and a strong man is guarding it, the goods in the palace, are safe, but they're only safe until a stronger man comes. If a stronger man comes and beats up the guard, the original strong man, then he can plunder his house. And Jesus's point was this. The kingdom of God has arrived. The king has shown up, showed up, and the demons obey Christ. He's plundering Satan's kingdom before their eyes. And then he ends with this. Whoever is not with me is against me. And if you would have been sitting there in the crowd, you would be scratching your head saying, this is amazing. This Jesus does miracles. Nobody can deny it. There's no evidence that anyone ever challenged a miracle of Christ in his own day. Nothing in the scripture. That's never what his opponent said. His opponent said, because they couldn't deny him, he did what he did by the power of of Satan. And so if you were standing there, you would say he does these miracles. He is tying up Satan and plundering his kingdom. And yet the most godly people who we thought were the most godly people just accused him of doing it by the power of the devil. You see the predicament a person would be in. And then Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. He just throws the line down. There's two groups of people in the world. Those with Christ and those against Christ. And if you would have been there, you would have been thinking, this is incredible. And then Jesus tells this story for the people. And also, I think, out of his mercy towards the Pharisees. He's trying to expose the real condition. Because then he says, 
Verse 24, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. So what he's saying is when a demon would leave a person, just like if you and I were to leave our home and go walk in a desert, we would be miserable because we couldn't find water. We'd be looking for refuge and rest. And when a demon doesn't have a person to reside in, it's like they're in a desert. And so the demon leaves. But then he says this, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds the house swept and put in order. Matthew, uh, speaking of this, uh, Jesus speaking in the same way says, when he comes, he finds the house empty, swept and put in order. And then Jesus says, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. And the point we looked at last week was that the self-righteous, those who clean their lives up on the outside, merely become religiously moral on the outside, but are empty on the inside, is the most dangerous state you could be in. One demon leaves there, comes back. Oh, this life is swept and put in order. Moral, moral on the outside, just like the Pharisees were. And Jesus' point is, is this group of people over here whose lives look all cleaned up, they're a perfect refuge, a perfect home for demons to live in. That would be a surprising thing to hear. Jesus says they come back, they're moral, but they're empty inside well what does that mean they're the self-righteous reject christ because they don't need his sacrifice they think they're good on their own but secondly moralism is devoid of real spiritual power uh here's Here's what uh, Paul says in Romans 7:18. He says, "For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh." Paul saying, "There's nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh." In 1 Corinthians 3:16, he says, "Do you not know that you are God's temple?" He's speaking to Christians, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. So what it means to be a Christian is to have the Spirit of God dwell in us. Jesus said, if you drink of me, you'll have streams of living water flow out of you. You'll be full of the Holy Spirit. I will fill you up. If the fullness of God uh, dwells bodily in the person of Jesus Christ, those who have him are full in him. And in uh, Colossians 2.20, Paul says, if with Christ you've died to the elemental spirits of the world, like the whole world's living off human wisdom, and if in Christ you died to human wisdom, why as if you were still alive to the world do you submit to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, 
referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. You see, world religions are kind of like this. Deny yourself. Make this rule. Follow this rule. Follow that rule. And then God will be happy with you. Paul says, why are you living like that if you have Christ? And then here's, here's, here's what he says. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So the Pharisees could keep all these outward rules, but they couldn't restrain the evil inside their heart. They could fool people on the outside. As we're going to see in a couple weeks, we get to the next few verses, Jesus said, says to the Pharisees, you're like, whitewashed tombs you're clean on the outside but on the inside you're like rotten bones and so we saw last week that moralism merely using jesus to clean up your life does not put you in the category of with jesus the religious people were not with jesus in fact jesus says the prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of god before them because they were actually looking for a savior. And then something interesting happens. Then, as he was saying these things, verse 27, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, imagine, you got to put yourself in the shoes here. You're listening to what he's saying, and she might be saying, all right, the Pharisees then aren't with Jesus. But then she cries out with this. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. It's as if she's saying, all right, I bet I know who's with Jesus. Those who are close to him physically, like his mother, she obviously has to be with Jesus more than anyone else. You see, moralism is a worldly way of thinking. Surely those who are moral are with Jesus. Jesus says, no, in fact, the most moral people are the greatest opportunity to be filled and deceived by demons. And then someone's like, well, surely those in your family would be blessed. You see, it makes sense, right? Surely Mary is with Jesus, but there's two problems with what she says. Uh, first of all, what she says is giving Jesus the highest cultural respect. This is a common Jewish uh, saying. The proverbial saying was the ultimate commendation since a mother was valued in the accomplishments of her son. So, uh, so Daryl Bach saying, this woman's honoring Jesus, saying your mom's blessed to have you as a son. So this woman cries out, and you think Jesus would kind of be like, that's right, my mother is blessed to have me as a son. So she's wrong in the first place, thinking that maybe if I give praise, that means I'm with Jesus. Maybe if I, with my mouth, fight for Jesus to be who Jesus is, then I'm with him. 
There's people that'll live their whole life arguing that Jesus is the Son of God and that you need Him in your life. And they say all the right things and they worship on Sunday morning. They sing songs and yet they're not with Him. Because by merely saying the right things or making the right statement doesn't make you one who is with Christ. But let's be honest, the moral person kind of can fool us. Can't he or she? How about the one who's always praising Jesus' name, saying the right things about him? And yet, it's still a worldly perspective. It's still coming from human wisdom. The second mistake she makes is the idea that Mary is blessed because she gave birth to Jesus. Now this sounds right, because back in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 42, when Elizabeth saw Mary, after Mary has now conceived Christ, the Holy Spirit conceived Christ in her womb, and this young girl, probably 14 years old, goes to visit her aunt, her aunt cries out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this grant been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby, who is John the Baptist in her womb, leapt for joy. And then she says this though, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth says, here's why Mary's blessed, because she believed God's word. When God's word called her to carry the Son of God inside of her. And in fact, this is Jesus' response. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, Luke, the Roman Catholic Church, wasn't on the face of the earth till hundreds of years uh, after this. So Luke obviously isn't recording Jesus' words here uh, to, with their view of Mary in line, but we can't help but rec be surprised if you, were, if you were a Roman Catholic believing that, uh, for example, Mary... Um, was sinless. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, Mary calls Jesus her Savior. The only one who needs a Savior is the one who sinned and rebelled against God. Uh, they call her the mother of God. They, they say that her body uh, didn't go into the ground, but there was the assumption of Mary into heaven in which she sits in bodily form in uh, heaven as the queen of heaven, that, that there's a coronation as queen. So uh, there's an extra biblical uh, speaking of Mary in the Bible. Now the Bible speaks of Mary in a very nice way, but as a sinful person who trusted God and was blessed by God. But wouldn't we be surprised? Blessed is 
the womb that bore you and the breast at which you fed, you would expect Jesus to say, that's right. She's sinless. She's the queen of heaven. But he says something surprising. And he says, blessed rather, or on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He's answering the question as to who's with him. What does it mean to hear the word of God and keep it? Jesus would speak to the crowds. They all heard him. But then Jesus would say, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. So there's a way that you hear and then there's a way that you hear. What does it mean to hear in a saving way so that you're with Christ? And what does it mean to keep his word? The, the whole rest of the sermon is the goal of it is to help you know what it means to hear God's word and keep God's word because those are the ones who are with Christ. Those are the one that are his. Um, one of the things that I want to do before we just jump right into that, if you look at your notes here, uh, you see this heart and it says, what is my heart according to the Bible? If you were going to do a study at what the Bible means when it talks about the heart, the culmination of your study would be uh, something like this. Uh, the heart is not this thing just beating in your chest, but it's the soul of the human being. It's the place where your thinking happens. Yes, your brain has physiological things that it does, but God says our thinking comes out of the soul of a, per of a person. So a person thinks out of their heart. That's what Jesus taught. From out of the heart comes evil thoughts, he says, for example. Not only that, but inside the heart of a person is where our affections happen. We love the things we think about and study and meditate on. So inside your heart, all the time, you're thinking, and that affects what you love and what you desire and what your will is. And not only that, the Bible says that our actions come out of our heart. Now, this is really important because the place faith happens is inside the heart of a person. Jesus is saying that the moral person is empty on the inside. What does it mean to drink Jesus? That if you drink from him, it means that from the inside, you believe what he says is true. You love what he says, and then that affects the way you live. It flows out of your life that way. So faith is not mere getting the answer right. Oh, bless the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God of heaven merely saying it, what if the person doesn't love him? What if they say the right things but don't really believe it? And so it's through thinking right things about God's word, loving God's word, that then comes out 
with action. And that's just going to be helpful for us as we consider what it means to keep, hear God's word, and keep God's word. Uh, we get an example in Mark chapter 4. So the, the thing we're shooting for is we're answering the question, what does it mean to hear and keep God's word? And we get the parable of the soils. If you remember, Jesus tells the parable of someone who was sowing a field. This is how they did it back then. And he said, some seed fell on the path and the bird came and snatched it away. And he says, this is the one who hears the word of God, but Satan snatches it away from him right away. Doesn't take any root at all. And then he says, but other seed fell on rocky soil. And he says, this is the person who hears the word of God, immediately accepts it and says, oh yeah, so great being a Christian. But then hard things happen in their life. The sun of the world shines down on them. And because it's rocky soil, there is no roots. The root tries to go down, hits a rock, shoots up, impressive plant, But now when the sun comes out, difficulty in life comes and all at once says, forget Christ. He says there's going to be a lot of those people. And then he says, but there's other seed that fell among the thorns. And these are the seeds that try to grow, but the thorns choke out the plant so that there can be no fruit. And he says, these are the people that get all caught up in the worries and desires of this world, that they prove themselves unfruitful. But here's how he describes the good soil in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. He says what true salvation looks like is a person that hears it, accepts it, loves it, and then it flows out with life out of them. When God's word is present inside a person believed by faith, so unlike a Pharisee, who they're proud in their moralism, but when the word of God is present inside the heart of a person through the Holy Spirit enlightening the word to them, Light shines into the believer's life and heart and exposes sin. So legalism is exposed when the light of God is on the inside of a person's heart. The outward cleaning up of a man's life and merely rule keeping is not a fun game to play when the Holy Spirit's inside your heart. Legalists love their rules. They absolutely love them because they make rules that no one else is going to do. And then they look at themselves and say, how great am I? But when the Holy Spirit lives inside your heart and exposes sin, that game is not fun to play anymore. You just can't do it anymore. You can't pretend like you're good when the light of the Spirit of God is shining all sorts of selfishness and and pride and unbelief on the inside of your heart. 
You see, now you want to play a different game. Now the game is, now what you want to do is worship God and be thankful for Christ who gave his life to take away your sin. Who is merciful and gracious. We want to be thankful and worship. We realize we don't deserve anything. That's what begins to happen when the Holy Spirit lives inside a person's heart. This is illustrated in, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, what was happening is there was lies going around saying, oh, Paul just does what he does for money. He just does it for his own gain. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, our reverence for the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. He's, he's saying, God really knows my heart. And I hope you know my heart as well. He says, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you a cause to boast about us. He says, we're not defending ourselves to us again. We're trying to give you a cause to boast to the false teachers how they're wrong in their view of him. To boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about our outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. The, the false teachers are boasting about outward appearance and not what's in the heart. And he says, I hope you know what's inside my heart as God knows what's inside my heart. And then he says this, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. You could ask Paul, why do you do what you do? You go into a village, you go preach in the synagogue. Usually you get thrown out. Sometimes you get beat. Sometimes you get thrown in prison. You've even been stoned almost to the point of death. Why do you do what you do? And I think his answer is going to be, for the love of Christ controls us. How can you explain my life? Before Paul was saved, he was killing Christians. Now he's willing to die on behalf of Christians. What happened, Paul? For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. He's saying, once I realized Jesus died for sinners and I was the greatest of all sinners, once I concluded that love, that was love incomprehensible, love that I can't even fit in my brain, once that came into my life, it started controlling my actions the way I live and, and what I do. Because I've concluded this, that's just a statement of faith, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. One of the reasons Jesus Christ died for you is to take away your sins. You've committed cosmic treason against the God who spoke the universe into existence and you cannot work your own salvation out of that. So Jesus Christ, the eternal one, took on flesh to take care of 
the ransom price you could never pay. He did that on your behalf to take away your sins. And another reason he died for you is that you would no longer live for yourself. That that selfish, empty heart would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that streams of living water could flow out of you. What it means to be with Christ is to cling to Him, to His words with your minds, to cling to Him with your affections, to cling to Him with your actions. Remember what Jesus said? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How does a man live, Jesus? Not like how you think, not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how a person lives. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 when Moses is reminding Israel after God taken them through the wilderness, fed them when there was no food, gave them water when there was no water. Here's what it says. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may, might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then he goes on to point out, your clothes did not wear out when you were in the wilderness. The point is this, Jesus wants them to know, wants you to know, that we don't live by our own strength. It's only by God that we have life. It's, it's only through His words that we can have life. In fact, Jesus was teaching this in a way that really offended people. He's trying to help them see, you, you need to drink of me. He's using an illustration they didn't understand. It offended them. He says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you don't, you will not be saved. Here's what His disciples said. But Jesus, knowing Himself, that his disciples were grumbling about this. Big crowds, Jesus says, if you don't eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. He knows his disciples are grumbling. And he says, Jesus asked them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man going to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He says, you really want to be offended in my words? My words are spirit and life, and you need them if you're going to live. And then he looks at the 12 and he says, do you want to go as well? All the crowds have left. Do you want to go? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to you, that you are the, and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says, he's saying, we may be struggling over this, but we know you have the words of life. There's nowhere else to go if we go away from you. 
What does it mean to hear the word of God and keep it? It's to be so changed by the Holy Spirit in your heart that you cannot walk away from Christ's words. Martin Luther says this, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. Uh, It has feet. It runs after merit as, as its hands lay hold of me. Once you have the Word of God, if you're a Christian, you can't get away from it. Even if you try to, and in your flesh, when you sin, you hear the words of God calling you back. You know that sin is going to be an empty well, that only in Christ can you be satisfied. This is what it means to hear and keep. In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep, they hear me, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. The evidence that you are a true believer, that you are with Christ is shown in in, our love for Christ is shown in our desire to keep his words. We, We can't walk away from them. We love them. We know there's life there. Listen to John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and He'll give you another helper to be with you, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him. You know Him for He dwells in you, are with you, and He will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, uh, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you'll see me because I live you also will live. And that day you'll know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now listen, you don't earn your salvation by keeping commandments. Saving faith hears the word of God, loves the word of God, realize that's their only hope. And when you experience that sort of love, that love fills you. And the evidence that you love God is what flows out of you later. What flows out of you later doesn't earn you one ounce of salvation. It's evidence that your heart's been filled with the love of Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments because you love him. And you want his commandments and you know his commandments are the word of life. And if you're sitting here saying, well, I can't keep the commandments. I keep sinning. I keep struggling. The commandment Christ gives, this is the work of God that you believe in me. The son of God. The first command of the Christian life is to lose all hope in and of yourself. To be good enough to earn salvation. Admit you're not and cling to Jesus by faith. That's what God commands everyone, is to repent and believe, to receive the free gift of salvation, 
even though the majority of people stiff arm the Son of God and, and push Him away. Jesus goes on in, in John 14, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and he will come to him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. All right, I got to draw it up. One more passage and then we got to draw it to the end here. Ephesians, Ephesians 3. Here's how Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. This is how he prays for you as a Christian. It's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Ephesians 3.14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches, so you got to start using your imagination now, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So let me just put that in layman's terms. According to God's infinite riches, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make your inner being strong. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. Here's how hard it is to comprehend the love of God. Father, in the power of the Spirit, give them strength to comprehend that with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more than we abundantly ask or think according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations and forever. That's my prayer for you. That you have so experienced the love of Christ as you heard the gospel preached, that you say, this is, this is my life. These are my words I want to live by. These are the words of eternal life. My prayer is, is that you can't help but receive Christ. Why do you come back? I preach long sermons in a hot sanctuary. I hope the only reason you come back is because you have to hear the words of life. All the other words out there. Worldly wisdom, they might look like godliness, but there's only one who can quench your thirst, who can let you get off the treadmill of trying to find happiness in the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it's in Christ. And He loves you. And He died for anyone who would have Him, who would receive him who would say that's my hope that's that's my only hope is christ jesus lived a perfect life because you never did and he offers that perfect life to be put in your account if you will trust in him 
by faith. He will take your sins. He bore the punishment for your sins on the cross and He'll give you the gift of His own righteousness, His own perfect life. It's like your life is like this dirty, rotten robe. Every sin you have makes it more nasty. The Gospel is this, that God in love sent Jesus Christ to come to you. If you'll trust in Him, He'll take that dirty robe off. He'll put on His perfect white robe of righteousness over you. And then Jesus swallows up the punishment in Himself. Self-sacrificial love on the cross. That's the type of love that changes the way you live. When that fills your heart, you're able to overflow to others. Father, I pray that all of us would be with You. We know that anyone who stands against You will fail. We know that You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that all Your enemies will be put under Your feet. We know that You sit at the right hand of God and the fact that You haven't come and destroyed those who hate You yet is only by Your mercy and kindness. But we know that there will be a day when You come. And when You come, Lord, for those of us who know You, it will be the most glorious day on the earth as we finally see You face to face. And Lord, for those who don't know You, we know that the prophets tell us that when You come, they will look for rocks and mountains to fall on them so that they don't have to face You. Father, I pray that You would humble us. That You would humble us, that we would see the love of Christ, the love You have for us to give Your only Son, that we would receive Him and receive eternal life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.